So I'm going to give you a little bit of background for Mark 1. We, we talked a few weeks ago about Jesus going off into the wilderness. Mark 1 picks up when he comes back. He, he steps back into uh, life in community. He's back from the wilderness. And so we're going to pick up there. So if you don't mind, if you'll stand with me, we're going to read these three verses and then we'll dive in. So in Mark 1, starting at verse 12 through verse 15. And immediately the Spirit brought him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. Now after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Father, we, we just hand this over to you, Lord. We, I know that you work through us, you work in spite of us. And whatever you need to do today to either work through me or in spite of me, I ask that you would do that so that your truth would be lifted up, magnified, and that you would be glorified in this space. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So I want to tell you a story. Several years ago, we were driving around on a, sun, a Saturday afternoon. It was springtime. We were in that red Jeep I told you about that my wife insisted that I buy. Um, we had the top down, and, and so we're, we're cruising around. And, and our daughters are in the back seat, and I hear this, Dad, a puppy, a puppy. Like, where, where? And she points up in the grass. And so right next to this busy road, there's this puppy in the grass. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we got to get it. It's going to get run over. We have to save it. And so everybody's on board, and the kids begin to scream, yeah, we got to save the puppy, Dad, save the puppy. So I stopped the car. I got out, and I started walking in this tall grass. I'm going to try to catch this puppy and save it. And as I got closer to the puppy, I realized it wasn't a puppy. It was a baby fox. So immediately, my male analytical brain kicked in, and I began to consider how foolish it would be to try to catch a fox, that it was a wild animal, that it had sharp teeth, and no one keeps a fox as a pet, that there's probably a mother fox nearby. If I try to get her baby, she's going to be offended and come after me, and that no matter how young it is when you get it, eventually it's going to be the wild animal in your house that it is. So my analytical brain went through all that, and then my male brain kicked in. And in that moment of my male brain kicking in, I began to think, I have one purpose right now, and it's to catch this fox. Because no one I know has a pet fox. And I will have a pet fox. Now, if you notice, all you ladies are laughing, right? And all you guys are going, yeah, he's not wrong. So here's what happened. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, the fox ran into a hole, and I couldn't grab it. So all was for naught. The puppy was safe, it had a home, and it was gone. So some of you right now are looking at me and going, yeah, you're kind of a moron if you can't tell the difference between a fox and a puppy. I want to play a quick little game with you to humble you in that thought. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a trait, and you're going to tell me if it's a fox or a dog. You ready? Covered in fur. Fox or a dog. Has four legs. Has a long snout, pointed ears, bushy tail, sharp teeth, hunts rabbits and rodents, it digs. What did I just describe? A fox or a dog? Yeah, the answer is yes. So all of a sudden, I don't look so stupid to all of you, do I? Right. Here's the deal. 
we tend to understand things, at least in practice, in terms of not simply traits, but in terms of essence. So the Greek philosopher Aristotle, he viewed the world in terms of essence. He looked at things and didn't say, can I describe it? He looked at things and said, what's the essence of it? And so here's how we define essence, more specifically essential essence. Essential essence is the attribute, attribute or the set of attributes that makes a thing to be what it fundamentally is. So I can go through these lists of traits for a fox, but that doesn't get to the essential essence of what it means to be a fox, does it? Nor does it get to the essential essence of what it means to be a dog. We all understand the difference between a fox and a dog. That's why you were laughing at me. You need to repent of that, by the way. But that's, that's why you were laughing at me, because we understand the essential essence of each, even if we can't differentiate them based solely on the traits. And that's a good thing that we understand the essential essence. You know why? Because if we didn't, we may end up with a fox as a pet in our house, treating it like a puppy. And so here's the thing. Essential essence is a concept that enables us to fully grasp and understand and engage and develop an operational understanding toward a thing. So by the essential essence, I can fully grasp it, I can understand it, I can engage it, and I can develop some type of operational definition. Operational definition being I can now work with it. If I can't develop an operational definition, I can't work with it. And so I recognize the difference between a fox and a dog because of the essential essence. Not because of the traits. The traits can be confusing. But once I understand the essential essence of a thing, I know how to deal with it. So I think that concept of essential essence is extremely helpful in answering our question today, what is the gospel? It's an extremely helpful idea to answer that question. Because if we don't get the essential essence of the gospel, then we will never be able to develop an operational working understanding of it. And so we'll have it, but it won't ever do anything in us. And so that's where we're going to go today. We're going to go to the essential essence of the gospel rather than simply a definition of it, the traits of it. So I'm going to go back to, to Mark 1 and to verse 14. And it says this, Now after Jesus was taken into custody, or excuse me, after John was taken into custody, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel, the gospel of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, every person in this room, to whatever degree, has some working definition of the gospel. The operational and functional definition of the gospel in the Western church has traditionally been centered around these four truths. God wants to have a relationship with you. Sin separates us from God. Jesus took the punishment of sin that we deserved. And if you repent from your sins and trust in Him for your salvation, you will be forgiven, justified, and accepted freely by grace and indwelt with His Spirit until you die and go to heaven. We've all heard that gospel, right? Now, depending on how we responded to it, it's irrelevant, but we've all heard that gospel. And guess what? Everything I just said is very true. And it's very much good news. But is this the very real 
and very true good news that's the essential essence of the gospel? Because we've got to get to a place where we say, I need to have an operational definition of what the gospel is. And in order to do that, I need to get to its essential essence. So in other words, is, the tr- is, in other words, is this truth enough to equip us in understanding and grasping the gospel so that we fully live into it and let it govern our lives? That's the question. It's the deeper question of what is the gospel. Basically, the question is this. Is my understanding of the gospel deep enough, rooted in essential essence enough, so that I don't bring a fox home as a pet? Because we do that all the time. Go out and grab these little foxes and we bring them home as pets. So we got to press hard into these two verses in Mark 1 and verse 14 and 15. And we're just going to move into that for a few moments so that we can get the essential essence of the gospel. So we're going to start with the Greek word that's translated as preaching. It means to proclaim, to announce, or herald. So think of this Greek word preaching as a messenger of a king showing up and saying, hey, I got something to tell you. Everybody listen. So, so when Mark says Jesus began to preach... What he's saying is Jesus began to announce and herald something. It does not mean to grasp it intellectually or to understand it or to simply be able to explain it. So here's a question I want you to kind of consider and contemplate. Do you find yourself simply trying to understand the gospel intellectually or are you seeking the essential essence of the gospel to help you tell the difference between the foxes and the puppies in your life? Because if we don't press towards the essential essence, the gospel is just another bit of knowledge that we put on the shelf of our mind and it sits there and gets dusty. We never take it down. We never use it. And we all have things in our house whose sole purpose is to be seen. And that's it. I think there's a lot of people in church who treat the gospel that way. The sole purpose of me having the gospel is so that it can be seen. I want people to walk in my home and see it hanging on the wall and praise me that I have it. But there's so much more. So the next little phrase we have to deal with in these verses is the gospel of God. So it says, Jesus began to preach the gospel of God. So gospel, we all know, right? It means good news. Here's good news. I've got good news to tell you. That's what the word gospel means. But my question is, whose good news is it? We think it's our good news. Reality is here in Mark 1, it says it's the good news of God. Not the good news of me. So it's God's good news. So Jesus came proclaiming, came heralding, announcing God's good news. And what's the good news of God? Well, it goes on from there to say that the time is fulfilled. So here's the good news from God. The time is fulfilled. So what's that mean? Well, the Greek word for fulfilled in this verse is pleruo. So my question is time for what? If it's the good news of God and the time is fulfilled, the time for what is fulfilled? Well, the time for God to complete his long-awaited plan. So the gospel then of God is him saying the time is fulfilled. This plan I've been unfolding is now going to be completed. And so that, the question should then be, so what was his plan? What was God's plan? 
Well, we get a clue in Mark 123, or excuse me, Matthew 123, where he's referring to Isaiah 7:14, where he says, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Huh. Huh. So God's long-awaited plan then may actually be him with us. Well, that's novel. But can you prove it? Yeah, I can. Thanks for asking. Exodus 29, 45 and 46. Leviticus 26, 11. Numbers 35, 34. 1 Kings 6, 13. Ezekiel 37, 27. Ezekiel 43, 7 and 9. Zechariah 2, 10. Numbers 5, 3. Isaiah 57, 15. Zechariah 2, 11. These are not all the verses. These are some of the verses. And you know what all these verses in the Old Testament say? I will make my dwelling place among you. Huh. So it sounds like God's plan was to make his dwelling place among us. That was his plan all along. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? And if you read these verses, what you find is God saying, hey, if you do this, I will make my dwelling place among you. If you build the tabernacle this way, I will make my dwelling place among you. If you have pure hearts, I will make my dwelling place among you. On and on and on. So the good news of God is simply this. I will dwell among you. God's good news is I will dwell among you. Our good news from the gospel is I will get to dwell with you. Now here's what happens. If we don't grasp God's good news... I will dwell among you, then we don't get the essential essence of the gospel. All we get is a, a fire insurance plan that we're going to cash in one day when we die that says, now I'm going to dwell with you. You promised, that's your plan. Here I am. Knew I shouldn't have ate all that fried food and biscuits and gravy, but the heart gave out, so God, here I am. Here's my card. I want to cash it in. I'm in heaven now. So the time was fulfilled for God to dwell among us, among his people. All of those verses I just cited lay the foundation for us uh, to understand what the good news of God is. And so now we get back to the, the verse in Mark 1.15 where it says, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is where? At hand. Okay. So here's the at-hand part of the gospel. It's in John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Boom, there it is. Promise fulfilled. The promise that God laid out through the whole Old Testament of His plan of I'm going to dwell among you is now fulfilled in the person of Jesus. The good news is that He will dwell among us. The dwelling is at hand in the person of Jesus. Now let me ask you something. Is God the kind of God who will say, you can have this now, but then I'm going to take it back and you can't have it till later? I don't think so. I don't think He is. I might do that. You might do it, but I don't think he would. So if the dwelling of God was at hand because Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, showed up and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, is it still here? 
Absolutely. So the essential essence of the gospel then becomes the good news of God is that I have fulfilled my plan in the right time and my plan has always been, back through all those verses I just gave you in the Old Testament, my plan has always been, I will dwell among you. Listen to this in Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Mark 1 tells us the time was fulfilled for the good news of God, which is Revelation 21.3. So some of us are looking to get to heaven one day, right? Well, you know what you're missing? You're there now. The reality of the spiritual life is I am living in heaven, but I still have one foot in the earth. That verse in Revelation 21 tells us pretty clearly that the kingdom of God is the final reality of God dwelling among us. Jesus is God dwelling among us. So here's the fullness of the gospel, the essential essence of the gospel. We are living in the promise of God, Him dwelling among us right here and now. And I don't understand why you guys aren't standing on chairs screaming and shouting over that. I really don't. Think about that. Thousands of years, God saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And he blessed us by being born into the time and the space where he's done it. And we walk around going, but this stuff looks really good, God. This stuff is really attractive. It's really distracting. My ego. What about my ego? If I live in a place where you dwell, no one's going to notice me. They're only going to notice you. So I'll dabble with it, I'll flirt with it, but I'm not quite ready to go all the way into it. We are living in the kingdom right now. Now we don't fully live into it because we're still tainted by our own kingdom. So I live in two kingdoms. I live in the kingdom of God and I live in the kingdom of me. Depending on what kind of rush I am, when you pull out in front of me, you'll know instantly which one I'm living in in the moment. Depending on how wrapped up I am in my own ego, you bring me the wrong order at McDonald's, you'll know which one I'm living in in the moment. But that's our struggle. We're going to talk more about that next week when we answer the question, what's the kingdom? But I want to give you a quick illustration of how it's actually possible to be in the kingdom of God but still live in my kingdom. I am living right now, so to speak, in the kingdom of Canada. So are you. But do you really think that the kingdom of the United States somehow left me when I crossed the border? It's still here. After a lifetime of being ruled by the reality of the kingdom of the U.S., there's no way that my internal reality, the essential essence of who I am, is still not very much ruled by that kingdom, the kingdom I've lived in all my life. And so this is the process. See, there's evidence of the kingdom of the U.S., I said process, not process. This is the process of being ruled by the kingdom now. And so, I'll help you out. It's the process of being in the kingdom and simultaneously learning to live in the kingdom. So I'm in it, but every day I'm learning to live in it. That's what we do. 
That's how it works. So part of the essential essence of the gospel is that the kingdom of God is at hand in the person of Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God dwelling with us. Now we have to deal with the very operational and practical aspects of that essential essence of the gospel. In other words, if that's true, what do I do? What do I do? Well, maybe it starts with I give myself a little bit of grace to understand that, yes, God, you brought me into your kingdom here now, and I'm living in your kingdom, but I still got a lot of my kingdom in me, so there's times I'm going to choose that. And God responds to that simply by going, okay, here's what I need you to do. And here's what we need to do. It's in this verse in Mark 1.15. Repent and believe. So when I find myself walking into my kingdom, even though I know I'm a citizen of God's kingdom here now, what I do is I repent and believe. I turn from my kingdom and walk into his kingdom. Now I think one of the problems where we miss the essential essence of the gospel is highlighted in this verse in Mark 1.15, and it's this. We don't understand fully what it means to repent. So we tend to react this way. I'm walking into my kingdom. Repent means that I get on my knees before God, tell him what a horrible, wretched person I am, which he already knows. And then I make a promise, I'm never going to do this again, God. Never again. I'll never do this thing again. And we turn and we start to shuffle slowly back towards God's kingdom. And then we do that thing again. And we do the same thing again. And we get into that process that happened, that process. Sorry, I'm trying. I really am. We get into that process that we see highlighted in Kings. Sin, servitude, salvation, repentance. So we get in that cycle where I go, I'm in my kingdom, but, but it's sin, and it, it's going to lead me to a place of serving that sin God shows up, reminds me of my salvation. I go back over here and I repent and I live in his kingdom for a little while and then I sin again. And that's where we live. And I think part of that is because we don't have a proper understanding of the word repent. God's good news, the gospel of God, I will dwell among you, involves repentance and repentance literally means, it's the word metanoia in the Greek, it literally means, you ready for this? To change one's mind. To change one's purpose. To change the inner man. Huh. I wasn't taught that growing up in Catholic school, that that's what repentance was. What I was taught was repentance was you messed up, don't ever mess up again, and if you do mess up, keep it a secret so we won't all think that you continue to mess up. Anybody else have that view of repentance? Unfortunately, we didn't get the essential essence of the gospel. We got the truth of the gospel, which is sin is an offense to God. But God being God, if something offends him, guess what? He'll deal with it. He'll take care of it. And so how does he take care of my offensive sin? He changes me from the inside out. He metanoias me. He invites me into repentance, which says, no, I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change my purpose. I'm going to change the inner person. And we try to do that, right? We sit down and we go, got to change me. I'm going to change me. And then we fail. So here's the other part of the gospel. The believe part means that I actually believe that God will do what he says 
and change the inner me. So now I become a participant in the gospel when I understand the essential essence of it because the essential essence is I need to change. The inner me needs to change. I can't change it. You want me with you. You want to dwell among me. You want to dwell among all of us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with me. So I need to do something so that I can live into that. So it's a little bit more than just straighten up and fly right. It's simply participating with God doing what he wants to do. And then where does that lead? Well, it leads to that abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10.10. Because God is dwelling among us now, and I want to dwell with him. There's a thing he needs to do in me. And if I miss this and think that that thing he needs to do in me is actually the thing I need to do in me, then I'm going to stay stuck in that heaven one day gospel that doesn't affect anything in this current life. So I, as I am standing before you right now, I am not an appropriate creature in my essential essence to dwell in God. Now you guys are looking, yeah, I knew that. I've talked to you, I've seen you roaming around, I knew that. But guess what, you are too. You're not an appropriate creature to dwell in God. Something's got to give. In short, I'm just a fox trying to act like a puppy. And so I need God to domesticate me and to make me, in my essential essence, a nice, trainable, cuddly, loving, playful, harmless puppy. And so do you. And so I'm going to metanoia my perception of myself. I'm going to start with that. I'm going to repent of wanting to be a wild, untamed fox and change my purpose from living wildly in the underbrush of life and to dwell in God's house with him. So repent means to want what the gospel is in its fullness. Repent means to want the good news of God dwelling among us. That's the starting point. And so now we have to kind of address our traditional understanding of gospel because as I said earlier, it's very much true. Christ did die to pay for my sins. But the point of his life and death is not fully found in forgiveness. Forgiveness is a necessary transaction for the point of Jesus' life and death. Listen to this. In The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard writes this. Forgiveness and reconciliation are essential to any relationship where there has been an offense and also between us and God. We cannot pass into a new life from above without forgiveness. Certainly it is Christ who made possible such a transition, including forgiveness through his life and death. So forgiveness and reconciliation have to be dealt with if we are going to dwell with God in him and he in us. That has to be dealt with. We're not minimizing that. But what I am saying is the essential essence of the gospel starts with that, but it encompasses so much more. So much more here and now. And so Jesus deals with the forgiveness and the reconciliation in his life and death and resurrection, but he deals with it so that we experience the good news of God, which is about mutual dwelling and abiding. So the gospel is much more than simply he died on a cross so that I can go to heaven one day. 
It's a doorway. It's a pathway. It's a hallway that leads us in to that beautiful living room where God and I dwell together. And oh, by the way, it's at hand. It's here now. That's the essential essence of the gospel. It is so much beyond death and resurrection. It actually speaks into life. We get stuck on the death and the resurrection and we forget we still have this life to live. Now, how am I going to live this life? Well, I'm going to live it in the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news of God. What's the good news of God? All these thousands of years, my plan was to make it so that you and I can dwell together. And oh, by the way, it happened on December 25th in the year zero. Not really, but... It happened when Jesus was born. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now... All of us historically are living in the period after the gospel was at hand. Therefore, it's still at hand and accessible to us. We have to understand that. Because sometimes I think what we do is we give ourselves an excuse of the times. Jesus didn't understand these times. He didn't live in these times. The apostles didn't have to deal with the things of our times. And guess what? The times are irrelevant because they've been fulfilled. They were fulfilled. And so here's the things I need to begin to ask myself. Am I doing my part to dwell with God here and now? He's done his part. Am I doing my part? Am I living into the reality that Jesus, the word became flesh and dwells, not past tense, present tense, dwells among us? Am I living as if Jesus has overcome the world like he said he did in John 16, 33? Or am I simply living into the idea that Jesus offers forgiveness and reconciliation so that one day I can dwell with God? That's the question you need to ask yourself. All day, every single day. How am I living in this moment? Because here's the deal. We do Jesus and the reality of the gospel a complete disservice if we view it simply as an answer to the question, where will I live one day? And ignore the fact that it answers the questions, how will I live and who will I live with? That's the bigger answer. Now, I like to say this, and you've heard it before, and I apologize, it's redundant. But the question we should be asking ourselves, not... Where will I live if I die tonight? But how will I live tomorrow if I don't die tonight? And that's the question the gospel answers. There was an a old Catholic priest named Francis of Assisi and he used to talk about preaching the gospel to the trees and the birds and the animals. Yes, even the foxes. And I had a friend ask me one time, when we were talking about this practice of Francis preaching the gospel to creation, he said, so do you think that he thought that the trees and the birds and animals could be saved? Well, here's the thing. To ask that question reveals that we only see the gospel as something that, we must, that must be believed, and then we have to go believe and behave to prove the gospel. So the question's flawed to begin with. But if I see the gospel in its essential essence, wouldn't I preach to all of creation all the time? 
And wouldn't I do that simply by living in the very real presence of God in everything I do? I think the squirrels notice when we're living in God's presence. I think the trees notice when we're living in God's presence. I know you notice when I'm living in it because I've seen your reaction when I'm not. That's the reality that we have to face. And so how deep does your grasp of the essential essence of the gospel go? Does it go deep into this place of how am I living in this moment? Am I living out this gospel, God's presence with me? Everything I do and everywhere I go, does it orient and steer the focus of your life towards God dwelling among us, with us? Or is it simply limited to the no less true reality, but less transformative understanding that the gospel is Jesus simply offering forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Where does it orient you towards? Where does it press you towards? So what do we do with all this? So how, what happens now? Well, if you remember last week, we introduced our practice for this series, which is serving. And we said serving is willfully laying down my time, talent, and treasures for the glory of God and the benefit of others. And we talked about secretly serving those closest to you, people in your family, your coworkers, your peers, other students, your friends, guys on the hockey team, whoever it may be. But this week, I want to invite you to expand that circle. I want to invite you to take that circle and push it out just a little bit further. I want to invite you into serving God by consciously seeking to remind yourself of His dwelling among you all day long. That's a service to God. And it benefits others. Let serving, this idea of laying down your time, talent, and treasure for the glory of God and the benefit of others, let it be done by invitation this week. Because here's what happens as I press into the reality that God is dwelling among me, He is constantly inviting me into loving others, into serving others, into glorifying Him, into being a blessing and a benefit to others. And so that's what I want to invite you into doing this week. Focus on His presence among you. And as you do that, what you'll see is all these invitations come up. These invitations will pop up in your house where you'll go, oh, this laundry needs to be folded. I think I'll go ahead and do that. Or you'll look at the kids and go, thank you for blessing me with the opportunity to serve you by leaving your room a mess. Kids, you guys can pay me next week. Just come by the office. I accept cash only. But here's the question that we need to ask ourselves as often as possible in our day, in my driving, in my working, in my studying, in my cooking, in my walking, in my talking, in my eating, in my shopping, in my complaining, in my laughing, in my arguing, in my loving, and in my hating, and in my ignoring, in my engaging. Given the fact that you, God, are dwelling with me right now and right here, what would you have me do in this moment to glorify you and benefit another? That's the gospel. That is the gospel summed up as an attitude that we approach our lives with. 
have to engage the reality of God dwelling among us. If we're not engaging that reality, we're not actually living in the gospel. We're waiting to live in the gospel. One day, after the heart gives out, or I didn't see the dump truck and I stepped off the curb, or hopefully for most of us, we're 150 years old and just tired. But the gospel is that question. Given the fact that you are dwelling among me right now in this moment, what should I do? Who should I love? Who should I serve? How can I glorify you? So I want to pray a prayer over us, kind of a blessing over all of us. And it's a, it's a prayer from a, a, an Irish prince who back in the 6th century became a missionary and a spiritual teacher and a writer. His name was Columba. And he wrote these words as his final blessing over the community that he started. I think these words are probably fitting for us. So I want to invite you just to, to stand and just, if you're comfortable, hold your hands out because we're going to receive something from God as, as I pray this blessing over us. Father, we ask you to give us, your children, all that Columba sought to give his children, who he raised up in you with his final words. Be at peace with one another, bound together by mutual and unfeigned love. If you do this, according to the example of the ancient fathers, God who gives strength to the righteous will bless you. Not only will God provide all things needed for this present life, but he shall prepare you for the blessings of eternity. Amen.